0: We are on Ksubitz Chav Daled Aleph 24A1 in the Arsukah on the bottom of the second column. And we have the following brysa, Tana It is taught in a brysa. This is now focusing on the second part of our Mishnah. Our second part of Mishnah was discussing a case where I say, you're a Kohen, you say, I'm a Kohen. Do we believe you? Do we not believe you? And so this brysa will focus on the first two opinions of the Mishnah. And so the brysa says as follows, Ani Kohen Kohen. What do I say or what do we both say really? And this is also the explanation that Rashi gives in the mission itself. It has to be specifically a case where I say I'm a Kohen and that I know that you're a Kohen. And then you say I'm also a Kohen. I know that I'm a Kohen and you're also a Kohen. So we both say about each other that we know that we are individually both Kohanim and that we know that the other person is also a Kohen, which is interesting. Why does that have to be? Uh, So some of the commentators discuss this. Why can't it just be a case where I say you're a Cohen, you say I'm a Cohen? What do I know about myself? I don't know. But the other, my friend is testifying about me that I'm a Cohen. So why do I have to know anything about myself? Apparently, it seems, this is what some of the commentators say, that no, the only time one other witness could testify that I'm a Cohen and that he's believed, potentially believed, is only if I also know that I'm a Cohen or I believe that I'm a Cohen. If I don't believe that I'm a Cohen, I just – if I'm not sure about my status – So then we won't even believe that other single uh, witness to testify and say that I'm actually a Kohen. I have to actually know that I'm a Kohen in order for us to believe the other witness. Uh, So the case here is where I say, I'm a Kohen, and I know you're a Kohen, and then my friend says the same thing. He knows that he's a Kohen, and that I'm a Kohen. We say it about each other. According to the first opinion, So, According to the first opinion, we're allowed to feed him truma. We could give him truma, uh, which is the special food that's given to Kohanim. However, what does it mean that he's not believed to marry a woman? What is exactly does that mean? So there are different explanations given to this, and we're going to go with uh, one explanation, but there are definitely different explanations that are given. One explanation is that, uh, what are we talking about here, getting married? If you're if you're saying that you're a Kohen, so then we know that... <laughs> You just made things worse for yourself. You cannot marry somebody who's divorced. You cannot marry um, a convert. So what does it mean you can't get married? It means that we're still concerned, even if you're a Kohen, we're still concerned, let's say, that you are a chalal, that you're the child of this type of relationship where your father was a Kohen, but he let's say he married somebody who was divorced, so then you become a chalal. You have the status of a chalal, which has various ramifications. You're not, you don't have the full status of being a Kohen. Uh, with regards to many issues. Working in the temple, on the base of Mikdash, with regards to various issues. And if you have the status of a halal, and then you get married to somebody, so then she becomes a halala. She also has the status of a halal, uh, where it's uh, basically a disqualified Cohen. You have that status of being a disqualified kohen. So we basically say, if you get married, so then we're going to continue to be concerned, because this is a real issue that will impact many generations your children are then are also uh, a chalal, so it impacts many generations, and so therefore we will still be one witness will not solve the problem for us for future generations. We'll still be be concerned that you're a chalal. With regards to you eating truma, okay, we'll let you eat truma. But with regards to this uh, ramification that will impact many generations, that will still be concerned. For one witness will not help. Um, according to the first opinion, ad Shush slosha shnai until you have three people, so that you have two, if you have three people, two out of the three can testify about the third. The other two can testify about the other one. So then at the end of the day, you have two witnesses testifying on each other, and that's fine. That, according to the first opinion, is fine. You have two witnesses, then we'll even allow you to marry somebody, and we won't be concerned that you are a disqualified kohen. Rabbi Hudomer, however, Rabbi Huda says, Af the same Rabbi Huda, in the Mishnah, argues and says that no, one witness alone is not believed, even for Truma. Forget about getting married and, and with the statuses of, of the wife and the kids. Uh, even for Truma, we won't believe you for Truma until you have two witnesses on each person. You need a total of three, the minimum is a total of three, so that two testify on the third, and then the other two testify on the other one, so that you have a total of three, two, two testifying on each one. Okay. What are they arguing about? What do these two opinions argue about? They're arguing about, do we feed... Are they allowed to eat truma, truma, the special food that's given to the kohanim? According to the first opinion, one witness suffices. According to the second opinion, Rabbi Huda, no, you need two witnesses. What are they arguing about? And so we'll give two different answers. The Gemara will have two explanations as to what they are arguing about. We'll discuss the first answer in this class, and then in the next class, we'll discuss the second answer. Uh, But just to focus on this answer, the Gemara says... As follows, Maybe this is what they're arguing about. It's not about one witness necessarily. It's not about the one witness aspect of it. But there are multiple aspects here. There's one witness testifying on me. I'm testifying on the other guy. That he's a Cohen. But it's not just about the one witness. But it's that we're testifying on each other. This looks weird. This looks off. That I'm testifying about you. You're testifying about me. Maybe we've we've planned this together so that we could uh, fool the courts, we could fool the Beisden. So maybe Rebbe is concerned, he's concerned for reciprocating favors, and the first opinion is not concerned. Maybe that's what the whole argument is about. It's not just about the one witness, but it's really about this concern that are they reciprocating favors. So if that's really the concern, asks the Gemara, we really have in a different area of law, we have the opposite, where Rabbi Huda says that we're not concerned, and the first opinion says that we are concerned. The on the majority, say that we are concerned. What's the case? Let's say you have there's different understandings of what this case is. But let's say either you have donkey drivers who uh, they're they're transporting grain, or maybe it's referring to wine. Chamar wine. They they're basically they're merchants. They're selling things. They enter into a new town, and what happens? Basically. Uh, one person says about the other that you should know that mine, my, what I have to sell, they're, they're telling their customers what I have to sell. It's a, a weaker product, and you should also know their halachic concerns uh, because um, Meister was not taken off one of the one of the um, one of the uh, one tenth that you're supposed to take off to give to uh, either a kohen or to other people. Uh, they didn't take that off, and so therefore you still can't eat it. There are halachic concerns, and it doesn't taste as good. But you should know, my friend over there, he is he has great food. Uh, it's a great product, and everything is halachically acceptable. So then, do we believe them? Do we not, do we not, not believe that person? So the first opinion it says, We don't believe we don't believe them. Why? Why don't we believe them? So the reason why we don't believe them, there's different ways of saying it, is but basically they're working together. They're working together. And they're saying, you know what, according to uh, at least uh, the Ramba Maimonides, the way he understands it is that you know, we're working together here. Uh, in this town, I'll say this about you and then we'll – I'll say that you're great. I'm terrible and then we'll split the profit. We, we Behind the scenes, we're splitting the profit. Uh, other commentators say that, no, this is what they do in one town. The next town, they split it. They, they say the opposite so that everybody makes a profit. You make a profit in this town. I'll make the profit in the next town. Either way, we're working together here. So we don't believe you. We don't believe you to say that this is something which is halachically uh, acceptable. That uh, you took off uh, the the, tzedakah, the 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 and not just the tztuka, but the, the miser, um What you're supposed to take off for the grain, uh, we don't. We're concerned that you didn't take it off. Because just to add to this, the the case here is a case of demai. It's a case of the grain where we're not sure whether or not you took off all the gifts that you're supposed to take off. We're not sure, especially since you're you're somebody who's an amaaretz. You don't know. And follow all the laws. So we can't trust you about it. Uh, but for general, we trust you when you talk about your friend. But here we're concerned that you're working together. So therefore we can't trust you. Rabbi Yehuda argues. Rabbi Yehuda says that you are believed. We're not concerned. Apparently we're not concerned that you're going to make this whole deal with your friend. So it's the exact opposite of our Mishnah. Our Mishnah said that according to the first opinion, we're not concerned. This Now, when it comes to these merchants, the first opinion says, the majority says that we are concerned. And then with regards to Rabbi Huda, a, both opinions are arguing with each other. Rabbi Huda, in our case, says that we are concerned. And then in this case of the merchants, he says that we're not concerned, but we believe them on each other. So how do you do this? So different answers are given. Amar vada Amrav. amarav. says, muhlef sashita. You know what, you're right. Reverse the, uh, you have to re- reverse one of them so that everything is consistent. You have to reverse the order for one of them. Okay. Okay. Another answer that's given is a bayi lo No, you don't have to reverse it. You don't have to change. Don't change the text. What's the case here for Rabbi Yehuda? hikilu rov hein. This is a case of demai. This is a case of demai where we're not sure whether or not this is the produce of, of, of somebody who's not learned. It. We're not sure whether or not they took off uh, all the gifts that you're supposed to take off before you eat from the produce. But there's a principle that most of them do take it off. The majority do. The majority follow the rules. And so therefore, we'll, it's true. In general, we have stringencies that you should take it off again. But we, in general, we assume that, that uh, we follow the majority. The majority of people have already separated all the gifts that they have to give to the Kohanim and to the poor. And bring to Jerusalem, all these different gifts, uh, they've already separated. Um, so we we assume that the majority did separate it. And so therefore, we'll be more lenient. Rabbi Huda says, I'll be more lenient in this case. Uh, when it comes to the Maya, I'll be more lenient to assume that everything was done according to the halacha, according to Jewish law. So, Rabbi Huda says that applies in the case of the merchants. But if it wasn't for that, if it's our case of the Kohanim, so then I'll, I'll be really concerned. I'll be really concerned and not believe, not believe them on each other. That's what that's within Rabbi Huda. So. The Gemara then asks, Rava, Rava says, uh, wait a minute, to Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda, Kasha, Drabana, Drabana, Lo Kasha, I don't understand. You explained only half of an answer. You only gave half an answer. You explained according to Rabbi Huda, why is it that by Kohanim we are concerned? But when it comes to the merchants, because it's demai, we should really follow the majority of people who do things according to uh, proper halakhic law. So therefore, it's really a leniency that we have for Rabbi to say that we believe them. But what about the Rabbanah? What about the first opinion the majority? They also are contradicting each other. In our mission, they say that they're believed. To say, I say you're a kohen, you say I'm a kohen. We're believed. But when it comes to the merchants, we say that they're not believed. Why is that? So my answer is, Rebbe mm-hmm. Yehudah is based on what we just explained. With that demai, this issue of demai, where we have this produce of the one who's not learned, we assume that majority do follow the law. And so therefore, we're not concerned, according to Rebbe Huda. But the Rebbe Lokasha. Even for the Rabbanon, even for the first opinion, it's not a contradiction between our Mishnah and, um, and, uh, this other Mishnah. Why? What's the case here? The case here, the reason for over here, the way Rashi understands it, is that when we're both going as merchants to town, and uh, you have your things and I have my things and I say, you know what? Mine isn't good and it's not done according to proper Jewish law. But the other person, my friend over here, everything is good with him and everything is done according to proper Jewish law. I'm also coming with all of my uh, – I'm traveling with uh, everything that I need in order f- to, to have a business and to sell things. So it looks a little strange. Why am I coming with all these things? I just told you that my stuff, my, pro- my, my product is not good and it's not even acceptable according to Allah. According to Jewish law, so why would I be coming with all of my uh, all everything that I need uh, for the business? It Doesn't make any sense. I'm not. A, I'm not looking to make money. So, because I'm saying it, uh, take for my friend. So, uh, because it looks a little strange. So, therefore, we're going to say, you know what? You're not believed. According to the Rabbanan, the Rabbanan, the majority will say that you are not believed. Uh, and this is based on a statement of Rabbi Chama bar Ukva in a different context, in a seemingly different context. Well, where did he say this idea of claim nasa that you have your, your your what you need for your business with you? Because it has to do with the following Mishnah. This is really just a tangent. Uh, it's, a, it's really a tangent uh, that 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 we're discussing this now. It's really just to focus. The purpose of this is really because we'll see that we're discussing another case where you have what you need for your uh, for your sales for your business. Uh, but it's really a totally different case. Ahatna and we have the following Mishnah. Hakadr Rosa, Vyar What happens if you have a potter? He puts down his pots and he goes he leaves his pots and he goes to drink water from the river. Okay, so he leaves his pots. And so now there's a concern in the days of the of the Besamikdash of the temple, they had an extra area of law of Halacha which we don't even really realize today. But it has to do with the laws of purity and impurity and the the transfer of purity and impurity and had significant ramifications of what you're allowed to eat with something which is impure. What you're not allowed to eat. When could you eat? Uh, but uh, we don't have that today because uh, we are all impure. Uh, but in the days of the base of Migdash, so of the Temple, so you had to be pure, uh, and so they they it was a very significant focus. So what happens if he went to the went to to drink from the from the river and he left his pots there? So now are we concerned that somebody touched his pots and made them impure? So panemius to Horus, is to Meos. The first opinion, the first. Uh, the Mishnah says that the inner ones are tahor and the outer ones, the ones that are closer to him are tahor, those are pure. The outer ones, we are concerned that those are impure. So the Gemara asks, I understand, but there's a bresa, the bresa which is written at the same time period as the Mishnah says, both of them are impure. We have to assume both of them are impure. So, So, When do we say that both the inner one, inner parts and the outer parts are impure? It's when he's traveling with um, all the tools that he needs for trade and therefore people are going to be coming to him. That's the point. The whole reason why we're mentioning this is because he's carrying with him all all the instruments, all the tools that he needs in order for his business. People now see this and they know, look, let me go to him. He's selling this and that. So I'm going to go to, to him. If they're going to him, he goes to the river. We're concerned that people are going to be touching it because they're following him. They want his business. Um, and so therefore, everything will be viewed as impure. Now we have a, a third Braisa, a third source, Vahatanya Eluvela Tohoros. We have three different conclusions. One opinion says the inner ones are pure. They didn't touch the inner ones, but the outer ones, which are closer to them, are impure. Another opinion says they're both impure because that's talking about a case where uh, he has his tools with him and so therefore, they're touching everything. Now we have the third case where we say both of them are pure. What do you mean both of them are pure? Isn't that a contradiction? So Amar Bish Enkleim It's where he doesn't have his trade in his hands, and so therefore everything is pure. Nobody's running after him. So then what's the case where the inner ones, the 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 pots that are near him, are pure? We're not concerned somebody touched them, but the outer ones we assume are impure. What's that case? The idea behind that, it's that it's talking about a case where the pots are not just further away from him, but they're actually close to the public domain by the public street. If it's close to the public street, so then uh, it's put there and we're concerned that it's it's really put there as like a buffer zone. You put the pots there to make sure that people don't go too far in. Then we're concerned that people are actually going to be touching it. People will be touching the outer ones. They won't be touching the inner ones. Okay, that's really a, a tangent. The main point here, really the main point here is that Uh, the whole argument in the Mishnah between these two opinions. What happens if I say you're a Kohen, you say I'm a Kohen? Why would we believe you? Why would we not believe you? The essential point here is to tell you that according to the first opinion that we believe you, it's because we're not concerned that they're working together and that they're lying and working together. We're not concerned for that. Rabbi Huda says, no, we don't believe you because we are concerned for that. That is all the first explanation to explain this argument between Rabbi Huda and the Rabbanam. Between the first opinion and Rabbi Huda, in our next class, we'll discuss... The second explanation, how to understand what they are arguing about, which will lead to other fascinating discussions.